बसमीम लेडीज़ एंड जेंटलमैन अस्सलाम वालेकुम एंड वेलकम टू दी इनाग्रल एपिसोड ऑफ पाकिस्तान जियो स्ट्रेटिक रिव्यू और पीजीआर पीजीआर इज़ अ पॉडकास्ट फीचरिंग कॉमेंटरी ऑन सेलेक्ट रीजनल एंड एक्स्ट्रा रीजनल इश्यूज़ फ्रॉम अ यूनिक पाकिस्तानी परस्पेक्टिव आई एम योर होस्ट जकी खालिद अ फ्रीलैंस कॉमेंटेटर एंड रिसर्च एनालिस्ट बेस्ड इन राहुल पिंडी You can follow me on Twitter at Mr Z P K. That's at the rate M I S T E R Z E D P K. Episode one covers specific developments over the past week, especially the time frame seventh to fourteenth December. The topics I'll be discussing are selected based on what I interpret to be significant geostrategic developments of current and or future resource value. and concern for pakistan's national interests since this is not a news podcast i am not providing a detailed round up of all major developments and will focus on those that i have shortlisted we begin with india where the indian ministry of defense is procuring 72400 units of the sig 716 rifles these are assault rifles of 7.62 by 51 mm nato standard all made in the us by the sig sawyer corporation from these more than 7 of these 72400 units 66000 will be given to the indian army and 10000 of these have already been inducted into the northern command which overlooks pakistan and carries out operations in occupied jammu and kashmir the indian air force will get 4000 assault rifles and the remaining 2000 units will be given to the indian navy the contract for this total deal is approximately 72 million dollars which means that the per price cost for a sig 716 g2 rifle is 990 dollars as per media reports uh, the indian mod won this tender uh, awarded this tender to sig because it placed the lowest bid uh, reportedly israel weapons industries had made the highest bid and at second slot was abu dhabi's karakal international but since being an american company sig has reportedly expressed its desire to strengthen uh, long term ties with the indian mod they have placed a very low bid which is quite interesting to note It is widely believed that the Indian MOD is buying the patrol variant of 6716 because the request for information or RFI issued by the Indian MOD in February 2018 suggested that the rifles which they seek are of the patrol standard but we also have to keep in mind in lieu of past trends that MOD tends to make abrupt changes to its uh, tenders and public rfis now and then so it it is somewhat likely that they will opt for a dmr variant uh in any case this deal is not part of prime minister modi's make in made in india initiative which is obviously their uh, ambitious agenda to significantly indigenize the production of defense equipment and uh, 
try to enable transfer of technology from like-minded countries so the fact that all of these rifles are being made in US New Hampshire specifically at the six oil factory suggests that uh, the US is not willing to uh, enable technology transfer when it comes to providing rifles for the infantry and combat troops so far the Indian Army has been using indigenous INSAS INSAS 5.56 mm rifle where it was considered to be ineffective following the 2016 attack on an Indian Army base in Odi. The SIG 716 official brochure mentions that they only make semi-automatic rifles which means troops will have to pull the trigger each time they want to fire a new shot but the company's official press release does not disclose the type um, which is odd they should have mentioned it very clearly if they wanted to alleviate any concerns um, some are speculating that India might order fully automatic rifles but since they are considered to be comparatively expensive or exceptionally expensive the low cost and the already very low bid by Sig Sawyer suggests that the stronger likelihood is that these rifles will be semi-automatic coming to the Pakistani perspective according to what I've been able to gather from open sources Pakistan army troops are using G3 battle rifles developed by Heckler and Koch of Germany and Type 56 assault rifles from China defense analysts based in Pakistan and abroad have commented recently that uh, these weapons are considered to be quite outdated um, their median age is almost 20 to 30 years and uh, they're ineffective to cope with new combat requirements uh, mentionable to note that in uh, November 2017 a delegation from Pakistan ordinance factories has had visited Poland to discuss the procurement of around 500 to 800,000 units of automatic rifles developed by PGZ it is a Polish defense giant uh, currently the status of these talks still remains unclear but um, what we can deduce from it is that Pakistan's infantry troops will be qualitatively inferior to India's because while Pakistan is looking towards the European defense markets and or might even consider approaching the Chinese again India has been looking to the US via Sig Sawyer and also is already working on a separate deal to obtain 700,000 units of AK-203 and 204 from Russia so in that regard India has been balancing its uh, defense needs carefully by trying to provide equal opportunities to both uh, American and uh, Russian defense manufacturers thereby strengthening its own geopolitical interests as well in the immediate operational uh, perspective I will speaking at the tactical level this will provide a combat edge since uh, reports have already said that 10,000 units of the SIG 716 have already been given handed over to the Northern Command we can expect immediate deployment and operational use by troops operating in the occupied Jammu and Kashmir Valley which will pose immediate threats to Pakistan's troops stationed for defense purposes on the northeast. In the long term strategic purview 
this symbolizes Pakistan is left out very disingenuously from both the Russian and US camps and the only foreign options it has for strengthening its uh, infantry combat capabilities are from willing partners in the US and uh, in the sorry in uh, Europe and China so if uh, if we look at uh, the f emerging prospects then um, as far as infantry capabilities are concerned uh, the better quality of uh, American firepower will definitely give an edge to the Indian troops and Pakistan will need to uh, evaluate its long-term options at priority. Um, we have seen some new assault rifles coming out by the Pakistan Ordnance Factories but uh, they are not very, it's still unclear whether Pakistan Army is willing to procure them itself or simply um, targeting foreign markets, especially Africa, etc. Coming to another important point, which is related to this. If you remember a few days ago, this news came via usnews.com, this uh, news website from the US, which reported that uh, they obtained some documents or secret documents Quoting then Under Secretary of State for Arms Control and International Security Affairs, Ms. Andrea Thompson, who reportedly wrote a letter to Pakistan Air Force Chief, Air Chief Marshal Mujahid Anwar Khan in August 2019 about the so-called misuse of F-16 fighter jets against India during the 10th standoff Feb to March and especially post Balakot. When we see hear news about the US directly strengthening the infantry combat capabilities of the Indian Army and there are many other defense deals underway with the other services as well, one is compelled to ask that why uh, Washington is engaged in double dealing with both India and Pakistan and has a favoritism oriented approach toward India. The demonization of Pakistan in the defense manufacturing and uh, use sector is unwarranted. If India, ha Washington has concerns about uh, Islamabad misusing uh, uh, US made weapons against India, why shouldn't Islamabad be concerned about Washington providing uh, this extraordinary a soft approach for New Delhi. I mean, uh, Washington has uh, clearly these long-term interests in which it wants to buck up India and wants to gain as many favorable points as it can so that India's political and defense interests can be closely aligned against China. But while India, uh, US is looking at China while strengthening its relationship with India. It is very conveniently overlooking Pakistan's own interests. And it seems that uh, Islamabad's interests do not uh, carry any weight when uh, policymakers in Washington are involved in deliberations. This is quite concerning. And it actually also indicates that our foreign policy establishment, including our uh, uh, military leadership 
they need to take account of these things and try to allay their concerns to Washington and especially they need to tell them to keep it down when they're trying to criticize Pakistan for uh, using defense products like aircrafts for its op national security and defense purposes because ultimately Pakistan has paid for these products they were not given as aid well moving on to another news the Indian Navy has tendered or in fact received the seventh out of a total eight landing craft utility vessel LCU manufactured by garden reach shipbuilders and engineers so this is an indigenous defense product LCUs for some who may not be aware are used specifically for amphibious operations for transporting troops including main battle tanks armored vehicles and equipment to target shores they are not necessarily used for combat or posturing they are also used during humanitarian assistance and disaster relief operations and beach operations the lcus which are built by grse i mean each lcu they can accommodate 216 216 personnel the first ship was commissioned in 2016 now if the seventh is already handed over within a period of three to four years uh, this indicates good progress being made and the speed of the manufacturing process is quite impressive but anyway speaking in the strategic purview uh, these will naturally be handed over to uh, Indian uh, Navy's units responsible for amphibious warfare and uh, um, India as we know when it comes to Pakistan they have the western seaboard the, and then uh, if they're looking at uh, uh, a posture against China they have the Bay of Bengal and the Andaman and Nicobar Islands so the Indian uh, Navy is well on its way so 2016 to 19 we're talking about the, the that of the previous regime in 2016 was also Modi's so it is the BJP which has uh, encouraged the Navy to prioritize capabilities for amphibious combat uh, meanwhile Pakistan we have uh, we have been prioritizing fast attack combat vessels and uh, these um, tugboats so we uh, we have to look at this news and these developments not just in the current time frame but well into the future on how if we look at a total of 216 personnel per ship we are talking about just in a very hypothetical scenario that even if half of these fleets which means that four out of eight light combat uh, landing craft utilities are employed against Pakistan we are looking at around 800 plus troops which can conduct beach landing and uh, coastal incursion ops in Pakistan so in the context of China Pakistan economic corridor this uh, very simple defense news assumes a lot of significance
and naturally uh, the only option india has besides clandestine and covert warfare to sabotage cpec in the event of any standoff in the indian ocean is to not only choke pakistan on the maritime front but employ amphibious forces and naturally the only way these forces can be transported to any uh, hypothetical scenario in the future to the makran coastline or balochistan is through landing craft utilities so uh, looking well into the future in any, the case of any probability or provocative measure expected from india uh, this development is also significant and that's why i've shortlisted it in this week's important geostrategic news we move to the west and uh, the iranian navy commander rear admiral khanzadi has been visiting pakistan he specifically held discussions with his pakistani counterpart chief of naval staff admiral zafar mahmood abbasi and uh, he actually revealed that iran is expecting pakistan to participate in a joint naval war war game titled maritime security belt being held currently as a trilateral between iran russia and china uh, reportedly this exercise is meant to be held on 27th of december and the iranian navy commander called for i quote collective cooperation and vigilance of neighboring countries to foil the undermining and destabilizing measures by the enemies stressing that the region would be safer without the presence of foreign troops unquote uh, it is unclear what or whom the iranian navy commander considers as enemies and which specific foreign troops he is against now we have to keep in mind that china and russia are already figuring very prominently as a thorn for uh, specifically us naval forces in the region uh, though and uh, when it comes to india it is only the chinese so definitely we are not talking about the only common enemy which one can understand for china russia and iran is the us and the us naval central command based in bahrain houses the headquarters of the naval component of central command which pakistan also comes under so it's also worth noting that this news was reported by meher news agency of iran and neither any official pakistani military press release or state news agency has reported this request by the iranian navy commander and obviously it is quite understandable that pakistan um, is not willing to comment or provide any sort of clear response because most likely uh, pakistan will clearly not participate in any such exercises because they send a very wrong message to their strong allies in the gcc especially saudi arabia and the uae and bahrain also because the kingdom of bahrain has uh, very recently decided to award uh, prime minister imran khan and if we look at the strategic level 
then the last thing which uh, arab gulf countries need at this point is their non arab ally in the form of pakistan to participate with a conflicting party in the strait of hormuz which is becoming a hotbed of increasing contestation between the arab and us camp on one side and iran which is somewhat isolated accepting a few russian support here and there on the other so pakistan has clearly a very cordial and long time strong relationship with us naval central command napsent it isn't um expected in fact our navy chief was present at a conference recently in a hosted a maritime conference hosted by saudi arabia recently and in that context it is very clear that uh, pakistan prioritizes its relations with uh, its uh, allies in the gcc and the us and it will most certainly or most likely not participate out of schedule with any naval exercises or any exercises for that matter with iran war games between pakistan and iran as with other countries are planned well in advance they are planned almost a year in advance and such abrupt participation in unplanned exercises definitely sends the wrong message to allies and like minded countries which pakistan cannot risk and the ire which pakistan has already faced from its uh, arab allies or arab like minded countries um during the non participation in yemen etc has already upset many people if you remember anwar kargash the of the ua foreign ministry several years ago he had taunted pakistan and warned pakistan of uh, certain consequences if it did not support ua in its operations in yemen it took a lot of uh, back channel diplomacy military diplomacy to uh, calm the fires if you may say so at this point in time even as we talk about uh, high level economic interests then um, pakistan is nothing to gain by trying to cozy up to iran because ultimately it is the arab gulf countries which will in the case of any future eventuality bail out pakistan so yes in that big context uh, that large strategic context Uh, it's least likely that pakistan would participate in the maritime security belt exercises it's also interesting to note that the iranian navy commander uh, air admiral khanzadi he uh, mentioned about iran's current presidency of the indian ocean naval symposium now uh, the ions is, has been a regional forum and uh, i think it's more of a concern for new delhi why the iranian navy commander used that as a reference point for inviting pakistan to the trilateral exercise which could have been a quadrilateral uh, new delhi must be looking at this news with quite interest because it is um new delhi and tehran they have their strategic interests converging on chabahar in the fact that uh, iran is trying to use its additional privilege through ions to uh, curry favors from pakistan or try to cozy up to pakistan must be definitely uh, tickling someone in the uh, indian naval headquarters so this assumes a lot of significance but in any case 
Pakistan, like other pragmatic countries, is not going to jump at the opportunity to uh, cause distress to India. And naturally, it has long-term strategic interests to secure. And hence, as I mentioned earlier, it is very least likely that Pakistan would uh, give any sort of response to these uh, upcoming exercises. Moving on a bit south to the Strait of Hormuz, we have uh, Radio Farda, which is owned by the not owned, but it is patronized by the U.S. State Department. It has reported that um, it quoted un unnamed Saudi, European and U.S. officials saying that Tehran and Riyadh have been exchanging messages during recent months to reach a sort of rapprochement or calming down tensions through intermediaries in Oman, Kuwait and Pakistan. These three countries are known to be neutral when it comes to um, sectarian and other political um, parties in the larger Arabian slash Persian Gulf region. But while now this American news outlet has acknowledged and also affirmed that Tehran and Riyadh are willing to cooperate and bring down tensions, it's interesting to note that uh, this only confirms that Riyadh was right when it expressed disappointment with Washington for not committing to a Arab Gulf security in the face of 10 standoffs with Iran, which is actually ongoing, the Strait of Hormuz crisis, etc. But this does not mean that the U.S. is out of the picture altogether. Uh, General Mark Milley, the chairman joint chiefs in the U.S., he cautioned Iran in the wake of uh, almost nine rocket attacks on different U.S. installations in Iraq. He cautioned them to be careful about expecting a retaliation from the U.S. because the, Washington believes Tehran was responsible for these attacks, which is obviously a claim which cannot be corroborated by anyone as of yet. And... Uh, but he did mention, General Milley did mention that the U.S. is in a state of heightened risk with respect to Iran. Now that incurs a lot of uh, interest for Pakistan. And the last thing which Pakistan needs is U.S. acting as an enabler of another conflict zone apart from an already terse Afghanistan in its neighborhood. Speaking of Afghanistan, uh, as you may know, recently a tragic bombing took place near Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan. Ambassador Zulme Khalilzad has been outraged by the, these attacks and he actually announced on Twitter that he is going to pause these talks. Um, different U.S. analysts speaking to um, uh, the media have said that uh, the biggest problem in Washington is that they routinely the plug during peace negotiations with the Taliban because they actually are the main party uh, which can enforce any peace deal. Um, the Department of Defense pointed out to Trump's South Asia strategy which includes a political settlement in place of a battlefield victory which is certainly not expected even in the long term. Um, Ambassador retired James Dobbins, a former U.S. diplomat, he was quoted in, a, in an American newspaper. He said that a peace settlement with the Taliban isn't the only option, but maybe the only realistic one. 
So naturally, if uh, successive U.S. regimes like the Bush, Obama, and the current Trump administration, they'll have to focus on the toxin, they'll have to overlook some of these um, short uh, incidents of uh, militancy committed by uh, whoever carried out that uh, bombing and uh, whether it was the Taliban or some other group because if long-term interests are to be secured and the region needs to be properly uh, brought to a peaceful uh, return then talks are imperative and uh, the US being the um, primary invader as the Taliban say they have to sit across the table and without interruption they'll have to reach a negotiated settlement so that uh, and as far as far as Islamabad is concerned our long-term interests are also tied to peace in Afghanistan and successive army chiefs and prime ministers in Pakistan have reiterated that a peaceful Afghanistan is the only guarantee of a more peaceful and prosperous Pakistan now coming back to India uh, there was a little known news uh, in the Times of India that 20 female officers from the Afghan National Defense and Security Forces are undergoing a four week military training at Officers Training Academy in Meenambakkam. Now, Meenambakkam is uh, the home of this academy in Chennai and Tamil Nadu down south, and it is known to be a center of excellence for training women officers in the Indian Army. I am um, frankly not aware of what the reasons are for that. Uh, some say it is um, the uh, uh, faculty over there and the training programs, unique training programs they offer. But anyways, this is not the first such development. Um, India has so far, on an overall, broadly speaking, trained more than 4,000 Afghan military and security personnel. And uh, the training, uh, this is the third batch training at OTA Meenambakkam since 2017 the first training program uh, for Afghan female officers began in December 2017 and included Air Force and intelligence officers including some civilian officers from the MOD apart from the army and uh, this particular program uh, the, th the third installation it has officers from the logistics human resources infantry and radio communication so we have infantry signals and um, um, uh, logistics uh, personnel from the uh, lady officer corps of the Afghan forces who are um, being subjected to the uh, we can say the best of what Indian military diplomacy has to offer now this is a soft power approach through which um, the uh, senior defense leadership of India tries to inculcate favoritism and um, long-lasting relationships with Afghan officers and if they're trying to support and strengthen female officers uh, it is obviously commendable but from Pakistan's standpoint this has uh, long-term implications because uh, recently a delegation from uh, Afghanistan just last month comprising more than 20 uh, officers from the Afghan Ministry of Defense including three lady officers they were given executive senior leadership program training 
at NATO headquarters and headquarters of Supreme Headquarters Allied Powers Europe known as SHAPE which is actually the headquarters of Allied Command Operations. So we have the Afghan personnel being trained extensively and being groomed into future leaders by NATO and in, on, in our region we have India which is grooming future Afghan leaders. It's interesting to note that I'm not really aware try to uh, dig up but uh, it's been a while since Pakistan's uh, defense and military institutions have actually imparted training to Afghan officers uh, certainly not in the double figures and that's something one can easily say without doing, even doing any sort of research um, so this sort of uh, soft power employment to groom the future Afghan leaders of tomorrow uh, some might say that uh, grooming female officers is not so significant because well considering the uh, patriarchal system in Afghanistan the male dominance over there they figure very low in any in any rung of uh, decision making but um, you we must remember that uh, female officers are very rare in Afghanistan and they are given exceptional f focus and training by not only the Indians but also uh, the Americans and the Europeans so the exposure they will get is definitely one that will be not favorable for Pakistan and if they serve on any sort of uh, staff appointments involving in input for policy planning etc or technical uh, operations then um, the Indian experience will come in handy and you never know if they're talking about people with radio communication lady officers with radio communication skills then that's something that um, India can teach them well to be used in um, sort of offensive communication capabilities against Pakistan. So for the Afghans it's the best of both the West and the East and this is gives them an unmatched experience. Moving over to the Southeast in Bangkok recently commander of the US Pacific Fleet Admiral John Aquilino said that the US and like-minded nations will keep Asian countries secure against a rising China and he also acknowledged that uh, Washington is in a competition with Beijing he said that very unequivocally uh, this is basically um, when we talk about quote like-minded nations unquote it is obviously those countries who are part of the US's larger free and open Indo-Pacific strategy and uh, needless to say the original quadrilateral involving India, Japan and Australia apart from the US are part of this process but uh, there continues to be a debate about whether or not India is supportive of a securitized Indo-Pacific as compared to a ASEAN centric concept. Now if we study the FOIP document published by the US Department of State and statements by the US Department of Defense they seem to be at odds and this is where one is unclear whether India is more policy consistent with the State Department or the Defense Department. Um, Prime Minister Modi had during his dialogue uh, his address at the Shangri-La dialogue in 2018 uh, categorically rejected India uh, that uh, India looks at the region through the security prism of the US but uh, the developments we've been saying, uh, seeing over the past um, few months clearly indicate especially the recent uh, 2 plus 2 ministerial with Japan and uh, India's increasing uh, 
interests to attain maritime enhanced maritime domain awareness and cooperation with ASEAN so it is very clear that if there is any potent country and uh, like a like-minded country which could assist against a rising China is India because while some may speculate that Australia has already backed off on committing fully to a quad because it does not want to enter into a confrontation with Beijing um, India and US do converge upon countering China and uh, I think that is uh, that is certainly one of the countries who are part of the like-minded nations to keep tabs on China and this statement comes in the context of the fact that uh, the US is getting increasingly fed up of uh, China's artificial islands and its activities in the South China Sea India has been trying very hard uh, through Vietnam and Myanmar to strengthen their navies in fact recently the Indian Navy gifted a used submarine to Myanmar Navy and all of this is a process to strengthen uh, countries which uh, find themselves at odds with China and they're fearful of a, and they're intimidated by a rising China and and that is why this statement needs to be looked in that context so while it does not pose any sort of geostrategic concerns for the Western Indian Ocean region as such um, there is a recent development a very recent development which tries to address this in parallel um, it was reported just yesterday that a US congressional conference on National Defense Authorization Act 2020 has sought a briefing from the Pentagon on US-India defense cooperation in the Western Indian Ocean. Basically, the lawmakers in the Congress, they seek a description of how relevant American geographic combatant commands coordinate activities with the Indian military in the Western Indian Ocean and mechanisms in place to ensure that such cooperation is maximized. They, uh, they also, one of their objectives is also to discuss and analyze means of future military engagement with India and the Western Indian Ocean region. So while the Pacific Command is very clearly focused on operationalizing its uh, the security aspects of its uh, maritime posturing to counter China and keep tabs on its activities such as patrolling etc through so-called freedom of navigation operations. Um, when it comes to Pakistan we should definitely be concerned about uh, growing engagement between India and the US in the Western Indian Ocean region. Uh, speaking on Pakistan's um, interests, it is very clear that um, we are not used to discuss issues beyond the North Arabian Sea. Whether it is the Army, the uh, Navy, uh, we do not look beyond the North Arabian Sea until and unless we have to pay goodwill visits, uh, port visits, or we have to engage in some sort of uh, um, piracy uh, counter piracy operations but if the US and Indian naval forces do decide to cooperate in the Western Indian Ocean region this has long-term maritime security implications for Pakistan in general and China Pakistan economic corridor in particular and certainly we would not expect that Pakistan will be alone to deal with this problem and uh, uh, the PLA Navy will most certainly pay visits now and then
or at least once or twice a year to remind India that it is not the so-called net security provider of the Indian Ocean as it declares itself to be through its maritime doctrines. We should also remember that uh, China has been increasingly establishing its footprint in East Africa such as Djibouti and um, Pakistan has also recently tried to address its lack of attention to Africa through the um, initiatives such as Engage Africa etc. the Foreign Office and our defense diplomacy is also being fast-tracked to facilitate further Pakistan-Africa cooperation. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I'm very clear that um, in my understanding, East Africa is an opportunity through which Pakistan can keep tabs, Pakistan and China both can keep tabs on growing Indian assertiveness with extra-regional forces in the Western Indian Ocean region. I plan to write more on that in a proper piece for the Center for Strategic and Contemporary Research in Islamabad and you'll be reading on that soon. Uh, it's a very long and lengthy technical debate uh, providing a roadmap through which East Africa can provide proof as a bulwark against uh, this uh, move. And you have to see that um, if you've read my earlier paper for CSCR in which I discussed why Pakistan's geostrategic calculus needs to shift from a land-centric to a maritime-centric uh, posture, a sea-centric posture. We are clearly uh, looking at how the Western Indian Ocean region, apart from the threat of nuclearization, the U.S. is going to enable cooperation with India through the Pacific Command. But as the Congressional Conference on NDAA 2020 suggests, there is clearly, and what I've mentioned in my paper, there is very clearly going to be a problem with uh, the distinct combatant AORs. Now, when it comes to Pakistan and most of the countries in the Western Indian Ocean region, they fall under two American combatant commands, namely AFRICOM, Africa Command, and this includes countries like Djibouti and the East African countries, and also Central Command. So, and but India, it comes in a Pakistan comes under Central Command. Most of the Western IOR countries come under Central and uh, Afri African Command, but the Indian aspect comes totally under the Pacific Command. So, how will the Pentagon try to converge its larger um, regional interests in the so-called Indo-Pacific region or at least the Indian Ocean region through a point of convergence between Central African and Pacific commands is absolutely beyond me at my level. but. Um, and I frankly do not see any such uh, point of convergence because there is a totally different uh, political social dynamic involved in U.S. defense relationships through Central Command and those in the Pacific Command. So it's not just the military policy and defense uh, practices implemented, it's actually the overarching political environment and uh, zonal policies which affect the general outcome. So when we talk about um, 
Arab Gulf countries in the Central Command and um, Bahrain being the host of and home of Navy Central Command. Um, it is clear that uh, so far the Arabs are comfortable with uh, multilateral stakeholders involved in counter piracy and counter narcotics operations in um, the Strait of Hormuz and the Western Indian Ocean as far as Arabian Sea is concerned. And uh, if we see increased uh, Chinese-American uh, presence in the southern portion of Western IOR, then certainly that is something which could also irk uh, literal states such as Mauritius and Maldives and uh, Sri Lanka. Now, this is where Sri Lanka figures in most prominently because although it is not explicitly in the Western Indian Ocean region, it just sort of converges in between beneath India. Uh, the Gotapaya Rajabaksa regime has the potential of being lured favorably by Beijing for its largest strategic interests and this is uh, and definitely it is Colombo which will be the deciding factor on the which in my understanding it is Colombo which is going to be the deciding factor on whether or not um, and any future Indo-US cooperation in the Western Indian Ocean region will succeed or not and definitely keeping uh, China's primary foothold in East Africa into perspective and Pakistan's own efforts to engage with Africa I think it is about time that uh, before the Western Indian Ocean region becomes the focus of extra regional forces like the US trying to uh, support India into a regional watchdog Pakistan uh, should prioritize discussions on the foreign policy and defense fronts with uh, countries in the Indian Ocean region uh, members of the Indian Ocean Naval Symposium and and RIM Association etc to look into the fact that in the larger regional interests it is not good for any one country or any one specific geopolitical grouping to exercise dominance of the Western IOR. This is absolutely against uh, larger uh, commercial interests and the free flow of goods and commercial traffic etc and uh, this will not only incur negative consequences for Pakistan but um, it uh, definitely uh, brings into four apart from India and Pakistan uh, any growing Washington presence in the Western Indian Ocean region will automatically involve Beijing as well and so what you have is India and Pakistan facing off at the low level and China and US facing off at the high level and the last thing one needs is another melting pot of disaster in the Western Indian Ocean region. So the fact that the Congress has decided to include this as part of the next year's uh, budgetary expenditures um, this needs to be taken very seriously. I believe that uh, in all of the discussions I've raised in this particular podcast this news is of extreme geostrategic significance and uh, needs to be discussed at the highest levels by the concerned quarters in Pakistan especially the joint staff headquarters because this is a, a, a clearly an issue which involves both land forces and sea forces and uh, in the, as far as the political leadership is concerned the foreign minister of Pakistan must look into how Pakistan can effectively coordinate with Sri Lanka, uh, Mauritius and other Arab Gulf countries to apprise them on
if uh, the Washington and New Delhi can talk about a free and open Indo-Pacific, uh, we don't need to go into a very grand continental debate. We can simply point out that any ocean, irrespective of which zone it is in, is not to be grouped together with certain countries for various shared interests, but um, they belong to everyone. They are a universal, universally accessible and uh, universal medium for everyone to use and for certain countries to militarize them for their own gains whether they are military political or economic would be not only divisive but also disastrous for all in the region not just pakistan and pakistan being the immediate country which can be affected by this uh, we also have to keep in mind that uh, while these things are going ahead, just a bit of context. Uh, if you've noticed that uh, Miss Alice Wells, she who looks after uh, South and Central Asia for the US State Department, she's been recent, uh, getting very vocal against CPEC and by name actually. Previously they used to talk discreetly, but now they're talking on it by name. So if you see the criticism of CPEC from official circles, in the US and now this development of focusing on Western Indian Ocean region this needs to be followed very closely and carefully and uh, I'll definitely be writing on this and following the, these developments on my Twitter feed and through various uh, future publications hopefully uh, I hope that our policymakers are looking into this this wraps up the first episode of the Pakistan geostrategic review podcast since it was the uh, the first of its kind, uh, there might be some issues, uh, technical and otherwise. But uh, all of the conversation I have, uh, the monologue in this conversation is uh, uh, a free flow and casual talk. I have discussed some of the major issues which I considered were important for Pakistan's geostrategic interests this past week. And uh, I hope that um, you'll be subscribing to the podcast and will uh, give your feedback. And if you, if there is any other topic which uh, or subject which took place regarding the domains which I discussed, defense, diplomacy, foreign policy, national security, etc., if there is anything else you'd like to talk me, uh, you'd like me to talk on, um, be sure to leave me a comment. I prefer not to talk on domestic, political or national security issues because these are extensively covered. My focus is mostly on the ex external front. So I'm basically focused on the outward in approach. If there's any regional or extra regional development which you think needs to be covered in the next podcast, which will hopefully come out in the next uh, weekend, next Saturday, please do drop me a comment or you can email me. Uh, at Pakistan Geostrategic Review at protonmail.com or you can send me a tweet at Mr. ZPK. Thank you all for tuning in and I'm, I look forward to your feed uh, comments. Allah Hafiz.